you pray with me? Come, Holy Spirit, and heal us in our brokenness. And may my words and our hearts together glorify you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I guess many of you know that Father Richard Rohr, who is a Franciscan Catholic priest, one of my favorite contemporary living spiritualists and writers. Last week and this week and next week, he is doing a series of devotions. And last week he did um, the series on order. This week he will do a series on disorder. And next week he will do a series on reorder. And what he says about that is that this is the pattern of our living. Order, discord, reorder. And, and this is what he wrote about it. This is what he wrote about order. He said, the psyche cannot live with everything changing every day. Everything a matter of opinion rather, and everything relative. There must be a sound container holding us long enough so we can move beyond the survival mode. There has to be solid ground, trust, and shared security, or we cannot move forward. There has to be a foundation, a foundation of hope, and for hope to be shared experience. And in that shared experience, there must be, must be agreed upon meanings and shared stories that excite and inspire us all. If there are truly stories from the great patterns that are always true, they will catapult us into a universal humanity and pluralistic society. We will both stand on solid ground and from that solid ground create common ground. If it does not support our movement outward, then it cannot be solid ground at all. This is why we're in this sermon series called Telling Our Story. So we all have individual stories, but what is the central story of our faith? In my first semester at uh, Perkins School of Theology at Southern Methodist University in Dallas, I had a class on the introduction to Christian theology with a professor by the name of Schubert Ogden. Well, he scared everybody half to death. And so we would all get there extra early to sit on the back row because you just didn't want to be on the front row right under his nose where he could call on you because he was demanding. He was passionate about the Christian faith. And he wanted to help us think strategically about our faith and what it meant to us. And so he challenged us one day and asks us to come up with the one thing, the one thing that held together in our lives when everything else fell apart. What would, what would govern our lives and our ministry? What would be the overarching thing? I wrestled with that idea for an entire semester, and to be perfectly honest with you, I still wrestle with that today. What is the one thing that holds me up in time?
time of crises like we are living right now. And I invite you to wrestle with it too. This is what Richard War means when he says, what, it, what is it that is the ordering of our lives individually and collectively? And that is exactly what I think our scripture is about today. Scripture that we just heard read. Today's gospel reading is a hard reading. Uh, in our book, in our uh, evening prayer and gathering time on Thursday nights, we read this and talked about it. And everybody agreed. It's just a very tough scripture to engage. And, and why is that? Because it's stunning, actually, to see Jesus confronted by a Canaanite woman and just be silent. I mean, it's rare that Jesus is silent except perhaps in prayer. And then it's stunning to see Jesus essentially refer to her as a dog. It is shocking because it's not how we typically think of Jesus, who we see as compassionate and kind and loving and generous. It's different than what we think of Jesus as a teacher and a healer and a rabbi. Of course, when it comes to the Bible, it is always important to know what we don't know. Jesus has been in previous earlier passages of the Gospel of Matthew teaching and healing and feeding people throughout the countryside. But here, Jesus makes a sudden move into Gentile territory. The scripture in its first sentence tells us that Jesus and his followers entered the region of Tyre and Sidon that were both coastal cities in the Roman province of Syria. And this area was also a part of historic centers of the Phoenician naval empire. And if you know your First Testament, you know that in the book of the prophet Ezekiel, there are references to the Phoenicians being the ancient nemesis of Israel. So what we don't hear with our contemporary ears is that Jesus and his followers and the first listeners to the Gospel of Matthew would hear that Jesus has entered a region where these cities were foreign and hostile and the territory was dangerous. Jesus leaves the comfortable territory and the people he's familiar with. The disciples and even the Pharisees are familiar to him. And he leaves that comfort to enter a sort of red light district, a place where most people would dare not go, and certainly not good, faithful Jews. Going there is socially unacceptable. It is where the so-called outcast, unclean, and undesirables live, the Gentiles. As Jesus arrived, he is immediately met by a local woman. She doesn't get a name, which is typical in our scriptures. But she does get a culture. She's described as a Canaanite woman, that she is a Gentile. 
and evokes this whole ancient hatred of the people of Israel for those who were seen as different. She is desperate and has come to seek Jesus' help. Her daughter is possessed of what is called a demon or an unclean spirit. Now, in our contemporary world, we would understand that perhaps as a mental illness or, or maybe even a physical ailment uh, that would cause her to uh, be angry and difficult. But please note that this woman is not a polite woman. She's not following the rules of her culture. She does not wait for people to get out of the way. She, she does not make an appointment with Jesus to plead her case. She does not go to one of the disciples and say, can you please let me speak to Jesus? No, oh no, she shouts. And what desperate mother wouldn't? What desperate mother wouldn't shout if she felt like this Jesus could help? At first, Jesus doesn't even respond. It's completely silent, which is so odd. But the disciples respond, oh yeah, taking their opportunity to show their implicit bias, when they say, send her away. I mean, after all, I mean, she's a Canaanite. She's a woman. She's a foreigner. She's an enemy. Send her away. And she's making a bunch of noise. And she's not being polite. Jesus doesn't react. And then he hears the disciples want to send her away. But rather than turn away defeated, this woman audaciously presses forward. She kneels at Jesus' feet, which is an honorific gesture. She crosses barriers set not only by patriarchy, but by her culture, by the norms of society, and also by religion and ethnicity and the long-standing hatred between her people and the Jews. She is a Canaanite and a Gentile, and he is a Jew. And there, there he says it. It is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. Come again. Did Jesus just call this woman a dog? Well, let me ask you this. Why are we so shocked by Jesus' response to this woman? I mean, after all, they're from different sides of the railroad track. They each grew up in a separate culture that developed hatred for each other. And so, what names do you use to label people? We all do it. Let's confess it. We are all complicit in the idea that some people are okay and others are not. Aren't we? Okay, we say, well, I would never call someone a name to their face. 
I would never use certain pejorative terms in public. I would never call somebody a dog. Perhaps we'd all say that. But what do we call people in the silence of our hearts? How do we think of them? In the quiet of our vehicles, in the privacy of our bedrooms. And what does that do for our souls? And does that change how we think about people, especially particular people that we view as our enemies? And does that change how we treat them? How we fail to see our part in the larger picture of oppression and marginalization? And how we participate in increasing the vast gap that exists in our culture that separates us? Is there any wonder we find ourselves where we are right now? As usual, the answers, I think, are found in this text. There are at least two ways of interpreting this story of our ancient faith. In fact, there are probably hundreds, but there are two that I want to talk about today. One is a story that we just heard, that Jesus is not only a Jew, but harbors some of the negative Jewish cultural perspectives on people who are different. Shocking, yes, but true. The good news of this interpretation is that this woman doesn't give up. She's persistent. She's courageous. She's doggedly, to use the appropriate term, determined to win her case with Jesus. We might say that through the verbal sparring with this desperate woman, Jesus evolves, shows her what we most often recognize in Jesus. With a twinkle in his eye, offers her compassion, almost delights in her willingness to fight for the healing of her daughter. He says to her, woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And the story tells us her daughter was healed instantly. But there is another interpretation that I would like to share with you. One I like just as well, if not better. It is this. It is that Jesus articulates his cultural animosity not in order to endorse it, but rather in order to dramatize it, to bring it to center stage precisely, so it can be conspicuously overturned by a bold, courageous woman. Think of it. Think of what is happening here. This is an object lesson for his disciples and the other followers and they will benefit, and we will benefit, by this experience. Jesus suspects that the woman will audaciously break barriers for the benefit of her daughter, and so he sees her as a way to teach about current prejudices. It is as if Jesus says, but isn't it true that we shouldn't give children's food to the dogs? 
Isn't that what everybody says? In order to cast a spotlight on what these disciples have just done by saying, send her away. And sure enough, the woman in her wisdom turns the saying on its head. Even the dogs gather the table's crumbs. Her logic of abundance implies that God's grace is for all people right here, right now. Jesus immediately concedes the point. And by the way, in the whole of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't not win the arguments. And so this woman is established. This unnamed Canaanite foreigner enemy woman is established as an example of faith, a model theologian, an outsider who understands better than the insiders do. So, so it is that the gospel is proclaimed. All in. All are in. The woman becomes a pivotal hero in the story because things pivot at this point in the Gospel of Matthew. This tenacious mother who helps Jesus open up the circle of salvation to a wider world. So whether you think this story is about Jesus evolving in a conversation, in a debate, or whether it is that Jesus uses this moment and this woman to teach. It is a good news for us. It is the gospel story, a portrait of a woman's faith that was audacious, bold, insistent, and courageous. At its heart, however we interpret it, it is good news. You see, I believe Jesus had, had something ordering his life his understanding of the scriptures of his faith. Jesus knew the words of the book of the prophet Isaiah. He knew what God had said about the foreigners and the eunuchs. He knew that God, through the prophet Isaiah, had declared that God's house would be a house of prayer for all people, not some people, not just the house of Israel, but for all people. The prophet Isaiah proclaimed through the voice of God this truth. And Jesus knew it. He also knew and understood and lived the teachings of that First Testament found in Leviticus. You know, later in this gospel, a young lawyer will come and ask Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus will respond saying, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. After his encounter with the Canaanite woman, this is what he teaches. This truth, a house of prayer for all people, loving the Lord your God and loving your neighbor. As I have pondered Richard Rohr's devotional on order, disorder, and reorder, I have remembered my great struggle in my first year of seminary and the challenge presented by Dr. Ogden. And as I have wrestled with today's Bible story of our faith, this is where I have landed. 
the great good news of our faith that was showed to us in the life of Jesus is simply this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And your neighbor as yourself. Could it be that simple? Could it be that hard? You know, um, again, I would tell you these are easy words to speak, but more challenging to live. And yet, this is our story. This movement, from order to disorder to reorder, from a cross to a tomb, a morning, from life to death to resurrection. And when we receive this story and respond in love, as Jesus asked us to, both toward God and toward each other, we are reordered. The other name for that resurrection. The good news then, the good news now. 